Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So it's so fun to watch. You can tell easily the difference between the introverts. The introvert said, when will this ever be over? And you're looking forward, praying to God no one talks to you. And you extroverts would still be talking right now if I had not stopped you. So I made a commitment to you last week that every single one of you who is a member of First Baptist Tulsa, you've been prayed for by name. And I've kept my word on that. And I'm going to pray a prayer over us from uh, Ephesians 3 this morning that I prayed over you this week. And I make the same commitment to you this next week. Uh, if you're a member of First Baptist Tulsa, I have a, a list of all those names. You will be prayed for again by name this week. And the reason I tell you that is because feel free to drop me an email if there's a specific prayer concern that you have. Just go to our website, drop me an email, and I will make that a matter of prayer this week. Now, I may not respond to that email because I think you want me praying instead of returning emails, okay? But I will be praying for every need and every name this week. And here's how we'll continue to pray for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we kneel before you today. I pray that out of your glorious riches, that you may strengthen us with power through your Holy Spirit in our inmost being. I pray that Christ, you would dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that we would be rooted and established in love and that we may have power together with all your people to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know your love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you who is able to do more than what we could ask or imagine or guess or request, according to your power that is at work in us and in the world, to you be glory in your church as there was glory for you in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So I'm not a big accumulator. I don't ha like to have a lot of stuff. But that being said, I do collect a few things very specific to my taste and my love for history. I'm a big coin collector, and one of the prizes of my collection is a, a coin that dates back to Corinth 400 years before Jesus. And on the back, you can see the, the, the form of Pegasus that was believed to be a very important part of Corinthian history. And so I love holding an old coin like that and wondering who is the first person to hold it. And what do they spend it on? Just a sense of history. I've also in recent years become a stamp collector. And somebody once said that you can spend your life trying to be cool or spend your life trying to be interesting. It seems that I'm spending my life trying to be neither. <laughs> stamp collecting, you know. But there's something about holding an 1841 Penny Black, the first modern stamp with the image of Queen Victoria on the front of it. It's simple beauty something that connects me with a bit of, of history with that. I also collect rocks, okay? So wherever I travel in the world, I know, not cool, not interesting, but I want you to think about this. When, when you go to the Eiffel Tower in Paris, if you buy that little miniature Eiffel Tower, just flip it over. It says, made in China. So you didn't get a, a memento from Paris. You got a memento from China. You just happened to buy it in Paris, right? 
So I would rather just reach down and pick up a rock, and my kids call me Charlie Brown. Dad, what did you get? I got a rock, you know. But I have rocks as far away as from South Africa, where I've been on safari, or from my retreat spot here in eastern Oklahoma, just an hour away. And they're tangible reminders of places that I've been. So from the Holy Land, I have two rocks, and these two rocks sit on my desk, my writing desk. Whenever I write a, a message, these two rocks are, are prominent. This one is from the Mount of Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, I've said that if ever there was a passage of Scripture that you ought to memorize and commit to memory, it would be the message on the Mount. Jesus didn't just say it once. He said it over and over and over again. And when He finished, people were amazed they were amazed at his words because he spoke as one who had authority. Jesus knew what he was talking about, and everyone applauded. Okay. The other rock is from the Mount of Precipice. Now, this is where Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he returns back to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. He teaches, and people were not that thrilled with what he said. In fact, basically what he said was, God doesn't love you more than he loves everyone else, and they took him to the brow of the hill to throw him off. Now, the reason I keep these two rocks on my writing desk is Jesus had a passionate commitment to the truth, that he was committed to expressing reality regardless of how people reacted to it. That was on them, but he just said, here's reality, here's truth. In other words, whether people applauded him or wanted to execute him, he was going to say what he needed to say. And so I keep these two rocks on my writing desk as a reminder of that. So I wonder this morning, which one of these rocks you'll want to throw at me at the end? <laughs> you know, will you go, hey, that was really good, really strong, really good stuff, solid truth, or will you say, I don't like that, and I don't like hearing that, okay? I think if you're really listening, it's probably going to be a little bit of both, right? And so I want to get down to it this morning and, and begin to talk about right now why I've called this together, and if I may be so honest, it's interesting that I have to live in a day where I invite the members of my church to come to church, but that's kind of where we are, right? That's just the, the world we're living in right now. I don't mean that to come across as, as cruel. I just, just say it as, as it is, okay? Uh, funny thing is, is I've been leading up to this. I've had several people say, are you resigning this morning? Okay, which is ironic because uh, no, but I'm here to talk about your resignation, Okay. Many of you remember 2021. It was called the year of the great resignation or the big quit, where it's one statistic says four in 10 Americans quit their job. They got so fed up, so disgusted, so discouraged, so tired that they just said, I would rather do nothing than continue to do what I'm doing. And so many people just walked off the job. That was 2021. 2022, people who are watching culture are beginning to talk about not the great resignation like 2021, but the great spiritual resignation. People are resigning from their faith. And if I were to trace this back, and I'll share with this a little late, later this morning, I saw the seeds of it begin in 2016, but boy, here in the last year, it has really gone exponential. And one writer describes the great spiritual resignation like this. The great spiritual resignation, a landslide is seen in the rising number of Christians. Now, this is not just young Christians. This is old, these are older people, too, that are walking away from God or exchanging their Christianity for a more universalistic faith. 
I think what P.T. Forsyth says here is very timely. Keep close to the New Testament Christ. Keep close to the New Testament Christ. Many of us begin to see Christ through the lens of our culture more than through the lens of the, the New Testament. Christianity has been linked with so many intolerant movements and partisan politics that many believers are wanting to distance themselves from it and embrace something more inclusive. So let me say I get it. I've experienced the world just like you do. And you think about everything that we've been through the last couple of years, uh, even before the pandemic, where many of us are disillusioned with life. We're disappointed with God. We're distrustful of institutions like the church. Let me say that I get it, all right? But we are called to persevere and to follow Jesus. Here's, here's what I'm saying, and I'll just tell you what I see. I see young families walking away from the faith. Parents with young kids who are saying, we're, we're not doing that anymore. We're not going to church. Do you realize, and you, you may be a follower of Jesus, but you're saying, we're just not going to do church anymore. Do you realize you might be consigning your children to a Christless eternity? We need to think about this very carefully. And it's not just young parents, it's grandparents too. Grandparents whose kids are grown and gone, they say, yeah, I've kind of done my time in church, I'm, I'm fine, you know. Do you realize as, a, as an elder, you are at the peak, you are at the top of your influence, and your children and grandchildren will be looking at you and they will either use you as an example or use you as an excuse. Do they see you persevere to the end or they go, well, they quit, so why, why am I still in, in doing this thing? I see many people who are, are a part of a church but online only. By the way, there's nothing wrong with watching a church online if Christianity is just about consuming. Okay? If, if Christianity is just about what we consume, Let's all stay at home on Sunday morning. I'll preach from my bed in my PJs. That would be awesome. But Christianity is not about just consuming. It's about creating a community. Sometimes I wonder if we're all kind of like that line in the mall lined up to see Santa Claus. We're all there to see the same person. We just don't really want to know each other in the process. That's not meant to be the church. We want to meet Christ, but, but we're to know one another in community as well. I've seen a lot of people who might go to their community group but no longer attend worship. Now listen, you might not need another sermon. You might not need to sing the songs again, but what we need is to stand in the presence of God as a community and to make sure our lives are lining up with Him. If we walk away from worship, and we'll talk about this more this morning, our hearts will grow cold. So again, I said I saw the seeds of this in 2016, and I've really seen it top out here now in 2022. So there's nothing I can really say to those who left in 2016, and we'll talk about why that's a pivotal year here in just a moment. Nothing I can say to those folks that are going to get them back. But I'm willing to guess that there are many more of you that are right on that cusp. And so if I could have gone back in time and said something to them, what would I want to say to you today? I'm going to invite you to go to the Scripture with me, Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning. Let me say this, as you're turning to those two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, everything I say this morning is predicated on the teachings of Jesus. So if He has authority over your life, then we must listen and listen very carefully. If He has no authority over your life, then what I say really is not going to make a difference one way or another. So I want you to hear what Christ teaches 
in light of the times in which we live. Okay? So, Jesus is in Jerusalem with His disciples the week before He's crucified. They're looking at the temple, and this will become clear as we read this here in just a moment. They're, they're admiring the temple. Jesus said, hey, there's going to come a day when this temple's going to be destroyed. And by the way, that would be about 40 years from when He uttered these words. But Jesus not only speaks about the temple, which is a test, He speaks about His return, which will be the ultimate test. And what He does is He lays down some principles, He lays down some guidelines for how we are to live our lives in times of testing, which I think you'll agree we're in right now, okay? So here's what Jesus says and what happens in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when His disciples came up to Him to call His attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things to the temple? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Again, he's talking about difficult times. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. Many will claim, I can satisfy, I can save. They'll deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, Russia, Ukraine, North Korea, China, nothing new. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Let me stop right there. See to it that you are not alarmed. What Jesus says when you live in troubled times is, keep your head keep your head, okay? So, let me ask you this question. What are you paying attention to right now? How you spend your attention is how you spend your life. And it takes all the spiritual nerve and fiber in our being right now for us to stay focused on Jesus Christ, for us to be undistracted from Him. I'll give you a way to measure that here in just a moment. But Jesus says, you need to keep your head and you need to keep your mind on me, so the British Empire Games, 1954, took place in Vancouver, British Columbia. There was a race called the Miracle Mile, and you really need to take about six minutes and watch this video. Because this Miracle Mile run in 1954, it had John Landy and Roger Bannister, both of which had already broken the four-minute mile. They were racing against one another. So it was like, who's going to win? And who's going to run? Are they going to break their own current record? And so, here's what John Landy was known for. He was known for his ability to jump out to a huge lead and have a lead so commanding that nobody could catch up with him. But Roger Bannister was known for, in that final quarter mile, that he could give a kick and he could catch up with anybody. So, you know this is going to come down to the last quarter mile. So, they do the first three quarters of that mile, and Bannister's probably back about 10, 15 yards or so. And here comes the kick. But Landy is so far out ahead, Bannister doesn't know if he can catch him. So here he comes up around the final turn. And because the crowd was so loud, John Landy, who was out in front, he couldn't hear any footfalls behind him. So in a moment of weakness, this happens. And he looks behind him. Man, and he looks the wrong way. And Rogers Bannister passes him and finishes a full five yards ahead of him and won the race. Now, the first reason that I chose this image is to say, 
if we're running our race, if at any moment we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, if we're distracted by anything else, we will not finish well. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ right up to the end. But the second reason I wanted to show you this is because John Landy, who turns around there, by the way, as I was looking for this image, there are paintings done of this moment, there are statues of this moment in this stadium. How would you like your worst moment to be immortalized in bronze? In this stadium, you'll go see this statue, right? At the end, he's interviewed, and he says this, I blew it, and the better man won today. I don't hear many athletes with that kind of inborn humility today, but he says, the better man won. Listen, the challenge here, let's keep our eyes, let's keep our focus on Christ. Keep your head, keep your focus on Him. And if you've taken your eyes off of Christ, be humble enough to admit it and refocus. So here's why I say 2016 was the beginning of this trend that I call the great spiritual resignation. I'm not making any statements this morning politically, I'm just telling you what I saw. In 2016, somebody won a national election. And many Christians disgusted at how other evangelical Christians voted. They said, I don't want to be associated with a movement that would support this particular politician. And I met with some of these people, and I go, have you ever heard us talk about politics here? Have you ever heard us endorse a candidate? No, but I can't be associated with that. And they walk away from the church and walk away from their faith. Do you see what's happening? They're letting politics make their spiritual decisions. Then I saw it continue to escalate into 2020. A certain national figure lost an election. And I saw many other Christians walk away from the church over that. Why? Because I said, if churches and pastors had been more outspoken, this person would not have lost. I want you to hear this very carefully, and here's where we need to be undistractable. Christians are not a voting block. Christians are to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And let's not sell our biblical birthright for a mess of political stew. That's not where we need to be. But we're letting politics drive so many of our… When you can't even do a prayer room without somebody thinking it's a political statement, something is wrong. So now here's a very simple way, I think, to measure where is your focus today? Where, where are you looking? Is your attention on Jesus or somewhere else? If you're facing east as the sun rises, all you're going to be able to see is the sunshine. All you're going to be able to see is the light. In fact, it will be blinding. But if you turn around and turn your back to the sun, all you're going to see are the shadows. So right now, the way you're living your life is all you're seeing the dark places and all the shadows and all the problems and all the crises and all the chaos? Or are you seeing the sun, S-O-N, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things that come from being in the presence of Christ? Have you lost your focus? Are you looking at other things? Is it time to reorient just a bit? Maybe you've heard what doom scrolling is, right? It's when you get online and you start scrolling through social media or your news feed, and, and every bit of news is worse than the piece before, but you keep on scrolling through. You do that for hours a day, but come to worship once a week. What's going to drive your attention? Catherine Price wrote a great little book called How to Break Up with Your iPhone. It's worth reading. 
She's a freelance medical writer, and she knew she had a problem when she was breastfeeding her baby one night. Right on cue. <laughs> Some parents' pain is my joy right now, right on cue. As she's breastfeeding her baby, she's scrolling through like we all do. And as she's looking at her phone, she looks down and she sees her daughter, and her daughter is making eye contact with her. She said, my daughter's looking at me, I'm looking at my iPhone. She said, I knew then I had a problem, that I was focused more on a device than I was my own child. So often it's easy to focus on our screens more than it is to focus on Christ. Jesus says, keep your head. And here, I'm just going to say it as clearly as I can. Many people are walking away from a shepherd at the moment that they need him most. Don't walk away from your shepherd because you need him more now than ever before. So Jesus says, keep your head. He said, these things are going to happen, verse 6, but the end is still not come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. All these things are just the beginning. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from their faith. Listen to these words. See how true this is. At that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Most important word in that sentence is the word most. Many people will see a big growth of evil in the world, and most people will find it easy to let their hearts grow cold. Why most? Because it's the easiest thing to do. It's a harder thing to keep your heart warm and in touch with the love of God and with love for other people. That's the harder road. That's the narrow road. That's the small gate. So D.L. Moody was talking with a man at one of his crusades, and D.L. Moody is a famous evangelist. He was like the, the Billy Graham of his day. This man was saying, yeah, I, I, I need Christ, but I don't really need the church. And they were sitting in front of a big fire, and D.L. Moody took some tongs, took a coal out of the fire and put it on the hearth, and that coal began to cool and grow dark. And as the man continued to say, yeah, I need Christ, but I don't need the church, he just looked at the coal, and the guy said, I got the message. Listen. Not only do you not need to walk away from the shepherd right now, don't walk away from the other sheep. Satan, and Jesus said this, Satan wants to scatter the sheep. Why? Now, now this message is more today about just love God and come to church, okay? We'll get to some very tangible things here in just a moment, but sometimes the most obvious things are the things we overlook. We need other sheep. You've seen those images from National Geographic, right? They show um, the caribou you know, moving across the tundra, uh, the wildebeest moving across the Serengeti, and you, they have this big pan of all these, these animals moving together. Then they zoom in on one. They said, oh, and here's this calf. It's injured, and it's getting separated from the flock. What's about to happen? Here comes the wolves. Here comes the hyena, because it's left the safety of the flock and now it's vulnerable. The biblical image for us is sheep. Why is that? Sheep characteristically are pretty dumb, right? But it's not about that. Sheep have no jaws and claws. 
Sheep can't defend themselves. They're powerless. So they have to stay under the protection of the shepherd in the flock. Don't walk away from the community at the time you need it most. So now all of that is preamble to where we're going next. Jesus said, keep your head, keep your heart. And then the big teaching as we dip in to the end of 24 into 25 is keep watch. Okay, in fact, I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you do not know what day our Lord will come. Okay, your Lord will come. Flip over, and you might need to turn a page to Matthew 25, verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. So everything Jesus says between 24:42 and 25:13 is about keeping watch. And if you don't know what that is, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But he gives three parables about his ultimate return. The first, he says, is a thief in the night. If the homeowner had known at what time the thief would come, he would have stayed up. He would have had the security alarm on. He would have held vigil at his front door. He would have been aware. So my return will be like a thief in the night. I don't get caught up on a lot of biblical prophecy because it it all comes down to trying to nail the time when Jesus is going to return. But he said, you're not going to be able to do that. Okay. So I want you to keep watch because it could happen at any time. Then the next two parables hold that intention. The next parable, he talks about an owner. He leaves to go on a trip, so he says to his chief servant, here, I'm turning everything over to you. Please make sure everyone gets their food, their allowance, everything's run properly. The owner leaves, and what does that servant do? He throws a big party. Mom and dad are never coming home. I get to do whatever I want to. And Jesus says, that master is going to come back sooner than what that servant thinks. And that's exactly the point of that parable. Jesus says, you don't know when I'm going to return, but... It will be sooner than you think. But then the next parable, and we're going to read it here in just a moment, Jesus drives home this point. My return will be sooner than you think, but it might take longer than what you expect. Okay, how can it be both? Well, I think if you've ever had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, you have nine months, and it seems like it's going to take forever. But then before you know it, the big day is finally, is finally here. So when our last son was born, Seth, um, it was just after the new year, early January. We thought the due date was going to be January 10th, but Paula went in for her last prenatal exam, and the doctor said, I think we misread the conception date. This baby is ready. Why don't you come in tomorrow, and we'll induce labor. And so my wife called me. I was at home with our older two, and she said, the doctor wants us to have a baby tomorrow. And I said very compassionately, you know you have been pregnant for nine months, okay? (laughs) Not the right thing to say, okay? You know, my first thought was, it's January 2. I'm like, couldn't have been born three days earlier? I mean, I want the tax deduction. That's what dad's thinking of, right? I want the tax deduction. I've got to wait another year for that, right? Sometimes things take a long time, but then they're right up on you. That's what Jesus says about his return. He said, this is going to be sooner than you think, but it might take longer than you expect. So keeping watch means you're ready. But then there's also another part to this. So here's where I want to read this parable. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins 
who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, if, if all this seems a little cloudy, we'll come back and deal with the culture here in just a minute. Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, they weren't silly, they were savvy. They took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, but the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Nope. There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil, buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins were ready. They, they went into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, as the others came, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. I want to back up again. These three parables, Jesus said, my coming is going to be like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. And one way of looking at it, it's going to be sooner than you think. Just like that owner returning from a trip, it's going to be sooner than you think. But it might take longer than what you expect. So here's what keeping watch means, that you're ready at every moment, but also you make sure to keep reserves because this might take a while. You need to have some reserves. That's the point of the parable. Let's talk about reserves for just a moment. I'm going to read this because I don't want to mess it up. Camels have an Achilles heel. Their vulnerability is hidden by their legendary resilience. These famous ships of the desert have been crossing the dune seas since the time of Abraham. Their stamina and strength is truly impressive. They can carry heavy loads across leagues of burning desert, going without water for weeks while their human companions die of thirst. But the treacherous thing about camels is that they will walk thousands of miles with seemingly endless endurance, giving you little indication that they are about to collapse, and then it happens. Here's what one person wrote. Camels are traitors. They walk thousands of paces, never seem to tire, then suddenly they kneel down and die. Horses tire bit by bit. You always know what to ask of them and how far to push them. The human soul has an Achilles as well. We have an astounding capacity to rally in the face of calamity and duress. We rally and rally, and then one day we discover that we have nothing left. Our soul simply says, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, and we collapse into discouragement, depression, and just blankness of soul. And I want you to think about the cumulative effect of the last few years. School shutdowns, church shutdowns, masks, vaccines politics, polarization. Just look at the way people drive, either people fearful or furious, and it wears us down until finally in our soul we have nothing left to give. And some of you, including me, you're there right now. So Jesus here in this parable, he tells us something about being ready but also making sure that we have reserves. Okay, let me unpack this parable for just a moment and what we're at a disadvantage in is we don't know all the, the cultural nuances of a wedding in Jesus' day. But here's what we do know. In the ancient world, the wedding was not about the bride, it was about the groom. I like that. 
bride, y'all have had your turn. It's our turn again. This is about us, right? The focus was on the groom. Also, in that time, um, you know how it is in our day that, that the engagement is a surprise. The, the groom-to-be, he puts out some candles in a park, and the bride does this, you know, when she's surprised. And, and, and the engagement is a surprise, but the wedding is well-planned. You get a save-the-date card in the mail, or as a friend of mine calls it, save-your-money card in the mail. Yeah. In the ancient world, it was just backwards. The engagement, everything was planned. It's almost like a contract. You do the legal stuff, it's well thought out, but the wedding was a surprise. So those in the bridal party, when it was almost getting time, the wedding would start with a nighttime processional. And you never know when it was going to happen, so you had to be ready at all times. And when everything was finally together, the processional would begin. And because it was nighttime, if you didn't have a torch, if you didn't have a lamp, you'd be considered a wedding crasher. They would suspect you as, hey, you're not really a part of this group, you're not really one of us, so, so your, your lamp was the ticket of entry. And here we see some silly bridesmaids and some savvy ones who say, we don't know when this is going to start, we've got to keep reserves. And so there's some interesting things here taught about reserves because many people right now are just on empty. A couple of insights on reserves. You can't transfer them from one person to another. Wouldn't that be great if somebody had strength and energy and you're worn out, if they could give you some of their energy and strength? A decade ago when my dad was sick and nearly died in the ICU at a hospital he was in for several weeks, lost 50 pounds, and as he's leaving to go home, the doctor said, if he gets sick again, he will likely die. He's lost all of his fat. He has no stored energy to battle anything that comes his way. I would have loved in that moment to take some of this fat and transfer it over to him, right? Doesn't work that way. Our energy is non-transferable. You're responsible for your own reserves. But while reserves cannot be given, they can be replenished. And I'm inviting you with me over the course of this next month. If you're on empty, I'm inviting you to replenish your reserves with me. Let me give you a resource for this. I'm not big on saying, hey, this is a great book and this is a great app. I read a book by John Eldridge a few months ago. A pastor, a friend of mine, recommended this to me. And it was very providential and timely, but even better than the book. At the end of the book, he kind of says, hey, if, if you're kind of at the end, if you're out of reserves, let me just give you this resource. And it's, it's just a simple app. It's, it looks like this in the iTunes store. It's just called Pause. All this is is morning and evening, a guided devotional. And it's bringing to God our exhaustion, bringing to Him our emotions, bringing to Him our mental health, bringing to Him our physical health, and putting it before God. It's morning and evening, about 8 to 12 minutes each time, and it's a guided time of prayer of meeting with the Lord. And it's a time of renewal. And I'm inviting you beginning tomorrow. It's not November 1st yet. Let's start it on October 31st. Good Reformation Day, right? Start with me tomorrow. I'll use Sunday mornings and my midweek update to kind of keep us on track. If you miss a day, just pick up the next day. And let's let this month be about renewing those reserves because many of us are on empty. I wasn't sure whether to confess this sin or not, 
But I did it in the first service, so I might as well do it here. I've committed the sin the last few months and weeks and years of trying to save this church. It's, it's, a, it's a tough time right now for churches. They're, they're all kind of lean, and it's, there's a sense in which I've, I've got to try to keep this together. And I've been acting very on the defense of just trying to keep things together, and I've also been trying to do it on my own energy. So I've confessed that to the Lord. I confess that to you. I don't want to try to rescue. I don't want to try to save the church. It, by the way, it seems to be somebody already did that, right? It's somebody else's job, not mine. But I do want to serve this church as long as you'll let me. And part of serving this church would, see, would be to say, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. No, do it some more. Yeah. No, 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 I'm kidding. Part of serving this church is to say, let's refuel together. If, if your reserves are down on empty, it's, it's all part of what Jesus said, keeping watch. Be ready, but also have reserves because it's, I'm going to return sooner than you think, but it also may take longer than what you expect. Also, a part of that refueling, and so I'd invite you to do this with me. Also, I want us to refocus together as a church and to say, what are we, what are we really about? What are we really doing here? Listen, our goal as a church, it should be very simple, to glorify God in all we do. And, and if that sounds churchy, yeah, it does a little bit, but it just means to make God look good. So whenever I do a pastor's coffee, I have this little thing that I do. I, I pick out a married couple in my pastor's coffee, and I'll turn to one of the spouses, and I'll go, hey, tell me the best thing about your husband or wife, right? So a couple months ago, I did this, and I, I looked at the woman, and I said, tell me the best thing about your husband. And she looks at me and goes, that's not my husband, that's my dad. <laughs> oh, man. Fortunately, she was not easily offended. The dad said, I'm going to bask in this all day long, right? He did look really young for his age, right? So all that to say is our goal is to make God look good, but we're going to mess it up a lot, aren't we? So we always refocus, say, remember, let's, let's make God look good. And it's just by having three relationships, a relationship with the Lord in worship. Let me encourage you, be involved in worship. It's not about the sermons. It's not about the music. It's about standing in the face of God because without this time of corporate worship to remind us of who and what we love, our hearts will grow cold. Let me encourage you. And by the way, if... if might as well say it. We even have some community group leaders that aren't involved in worship. Invite your community group to be a part of worship. We need this together. It's not just about hearing a sermon. It's not about whether you like me or not. It's about we need the presence of God. It's about doing life with one another, with having community with one another. Let me encourage you in your community groups, get down to it. Study the Scripture together. Pray for one another serve one another. It's not just about standing in line to see Santa Claus. We hope we see Jesus at the front of the line. It's about sharing that experience with other people together. And right now, a lot of people are really, really lonely. And we have the power to care for one another. And it's about serving. Could I encourage you not to hate the world around you? That does not honor God. 
Let's love the world around us. Again, if we turn our back to the sun, all we're going to see is the shadows. But if we're looking the sun full in the face, we're going to see all kinds of possibilities and potential. So that's it. That's all I got. And I don't know exactly what all to do with this other than just to put it in front of you. And, and let me say this. Some parts of today, you say, I, I really like that. You know, do me a favor. Don't come up to me afterwards and go, that was a good sermon. I, no, don't do that. If there's something that's been beneficial that you need to hear, you let God speak to you about it. If there's something I said that you didn't like today, tough. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it could be I'm wrong. But it could be that you're wrong. And that you need to let the Lord work over you just a little bit. So instead of shooting off an email or a text, just listen to God. If, if I'm wrong, He'll correct me. But if you're wrong, He needs to correct you. So there's a little plant that lives, excuse me, it did live in the New York Botanical Gardens, Iberia Sonora. Andy Dillard tells this story. This is one of the most resilient of desert plants. So they ran an experiment at the Botanical Gardens in New York to see how long this plant could live without soil and water. And so every spring, this plant would send out a little tendril, and it would go out looking for moisture. And when it wouldn't find any, it would go dormant again. The next spring, it did the same thing. The next spring, it did the same thing. For seven years, seven springs, a little tendril went out looking for something to give life. And on the eighth spring, nothing happened. It finally and cruelly died. Maybe this morning you would just send out a small tendril. You've been hungry. You've been thirsty. We need to keep our head. We need to keep our hearts. And we need to keep watch. Meaning that we're ready, but we also have reserves because Jesus will come sooner than we think, but maybe it will be longer than what we expect. Let's replenish and let's refuel together. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So, Father, we stand in your presence today. Um, as a pastor, I know I'm supposed to know where we're going and what we're doing next and what the best thing is to do, and honestly, I don't. And maybe that's, maybe that's good. I think that is good because it forces us to ask the question, what do you want? Where are you taking us? Where do you want us to go? I pray for this next month that those who are thirsty will come to drink, to come to the well of eternal life and receive replenishment and to restore those reserves that the world has just sucked us dry. So I pray for a season of refueling. I also pray for a season of refocus for our church. Help us to come back to, to who we are as a group of people trying to follow you and love you together, to make you look good in everything because you are good. And we honor you with our relationships with you and with others and with the world. So over this refueling and this refocus, I ask for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are in the process of making all things new. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
So this is not going to be in the invitation time. I'm just going to ask you just to stand before God in his presence and, and worship for a few moments. We'll extend an invite to the follow-up room here in just a moment. But while we sing this song, I want you to, to use that visual uh, image that I gave you a bit ago just as a, as a thought experiment. Are you facing the sun? Is, is what you're seeing him and you're wanting to walk toward him as blinding as that and brilliant as that sun may be, you're going to stay focused on him? Or if all you're seeing is shadows, it could be that you actually have your back to the sun. And so this time of worship is a time for you to think, where am I oriented and where do I want to be reoriented? If, you're, if you've been walking away, be humble enough to turn around and say, Jesus, I want to see you. Let's spend some time worshiping in God's presence. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.